mentioned this morning, uh, the Wednesday night class, we will start uh, the book of Daniel and cover uh, an introduction in Daniel chapter 1. I've set the booklets back on the back table next to where the Lord's Supper is usually set. Uh, so be sure and pick one of those up before you leave. And uh, we will, uh, uh, as I said, cover chapter 1. If you'll read over that and mark your text and get ready for a discussion there. Uh, the, I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on full disclosure here. Way back at the verse of the year, before I knew I was going to be teaching on Wednesday night, uh, church in Chattanooga called me, and, uh, and they have usually done this about every year, but um, asked me to preach one night in their winter series. Not too wintry out right now, but uh, anyway, it happens to be this Wednesday. Perfect timing, yeah? Uh, absolutely hate that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, David Deloge is, uh, he knows more about Daniel than I do anyway. Uh, so David will, uh, will teach uh, on Wednesday night and get that started, uh, and uh, he's got a good grasp of what we'll be talking about uh, then. And uh, just to go ahead and throw myself completely over the cliff, uh, in, in, uh, on, uh, what is today, the first? Yeah, so uh, two weeks from today, I will do a meet, my last, I've done, well, I've done four meetings this year, but uh, I will do a meeting in Huntington, West Virginia, starting two weeks from today, Sunday through Wednesday. Uh, and, and again, you know, chapter three of Daniel is an absolute piece of cake. David will handle that well, too. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back uh, with, uh, with that after that. You know, Huntington, West Virginia sounds like a long way away. It's only a five-hour drive. I was just absolutely shocked. <laughs> Last time I went to West Virginia, I thought I'd never get there. No. <clears throat> All right. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk uh, this morning, uh, this evening, uh, about some more questions and answers. And we got half, halfway through this, as Adam discovered this morning, uh, when you make all kinds of plans in this particular class uh, to cover certain things, it never seems to work out. Adam blamed me for that, that I set the tone for it. I said, no, no, it's just, I've been telling you a long time, it's just the way it is. Uh, so. What happens after we die? We've talked about Luke chapter 16 and uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We talked about how that the both rich man and Lazarus were in Hades, but there was this great gulf in between and that uh, uh, there is a picture obviously of consciousness after death in that particular parable. Uh, there is also uh, a picture of the fact that uh, if a person doesn't believe in the scriptures, it wouldn't make any difference if someone rose from the dead and tried to tell them. It's not a matter of evidence. That's not the problem either. So we discussed some of those things. We're going to go a little bit further now and talk a little bit more about Hades and paradise and what's, how that's used in the scripture. <clears throat> I did forget one thing. For Wednesday night, we're going to sit in the last six pews. All right? So we can actually have a class and hear each other. Uh, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> so, so please be prepared for the podium to be back there. And uh, we're going we're gonna to get back there. And if, if, if there's so many that show up, we'll add a seventh pew. We can all, I can always back up, you know. David knows how to back up, too. So 
uh, please plan on that as well. All right. <clears throat> so the next thing we want to talk about here, uh, we, we have dealt with, as I said, we've dealt with Luke 16. Purpose of the parable, remember, was about riches. And when you pull the curtain back, how the rich man looked entirely different than what he appeared to be on earth. Pharisees believing <coughs> in wealth uh, as a blessing from God. <clears throat> and then we drew a number of conclusions, as I just men mentioned. Now, let's talk a little bit about paradise. Paradise is first mentioned in the New Testament by Jesus in Luke chapter 23. So let's go over to Luke 23, and we will notice uh, Jesus, of course, on the cross. And this is when we, we first uh, read about this, Luke chapter 23. And you'll notice beginning at verse 42. <clears throat> and we, we see there uh, that the, the thief, one of the thieves on the cross said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So obviously when Jesus died, uh, he went to paradise and this man went to paradise with him. So the question is, well, where is paradise in this particular case? And the easiest way to answer that is to go over to Acts chapter two and notice what Peter says in his sermon about uh, about uh, the death of Jesus. So Acts chapter 2 and verse 30, we see that the, the Peter says concerning David, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So clearly both Peter points this out, the, the quotation that he gives uh, earlier in the text in verse 25 uh, and 26 and 27 uh, speaks of him being in Hades. So when Jesus died, he went to Hades, and when Jesus is on the cross, he speaks of, we would assume then, the good side of Hades, as being paradise. I think most of you know that, right? The, so in Hades, we have these two sections. One is the section where he speaks of the rich man, where he's in torment in a flame. The other speaks of Lazarus, who was comforted in Abraham's, uh, at Abraham's side. And then we see Jesus dying, going into Hades, but telling the thief that he would be with him in paradise. All right? Questions about that? Comments? Everybody on the same page? Thought so. All right, there's a couple other places where we read about paradise. So go over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's just notice the first uh, three verses here, um, three or four verses. Uh, Paul says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago 
was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. All right, so we have a, a, a few things there that we need to deal with. First off, he's caught up into the third heaven. What's the first heaven? If there's three heavens, what's the first? Sky? Is that what you said? Yeah. The sky, the atmosphere, the immediate place where the birds fly and airplanes fly and stuff like that. So within our atmosphere, Jews thought of that as the first heaven. It's the second heaven. Yeah, space, universe, all of, all of that that the uh, James and the Hubble telescope and all that have revealed. So there's a second heaven. Third heaven would obviously be where God dwells. Uh, and, and, and so Paul is saying he's caught up into the third heaven. He hears revelations. He's not allowed to, re to tell anybody else. And he's been given this great uh, honor, if you will, uh, and he tries to defer it, saying, you know, I, I don't know who this man is, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but this person was caught up. He's obviously referring to himself. But then he calls that paradise. You find a conflict between Jesus saying to the thief on the cross, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise, and then Paul being caught up into paradise and hearing revelations. That seemed somewhat contradictory. Okay, Jesus said to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise, which is in Hades. And then Paul says I, he was caught up into paradise, which he calls the third heaven. <laughs> well, yes, I'd say you have to die to get there. But Paul got there without dying. Did he go to Hades? Doesn't sound like it, does it? So you have paradise referred to just a little differently. Any, anybody want to solve that? I didn't think so. <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah. Okay, that'll solve it. Ask a question. Where does it say in 2 Corinthians 12? Where does it use the word paradise? Where the word paradise is? It talks about third heaven. Yeah, verse, uh, verse 3. Okay, it's not in my version. I just, I just what perversion are you using? No, I've got it. It's the whole one. Mine's verse 3. Chapter 12, verse 3. Only Christians, verse 4. Christian didn't know where the first division was. <laughs> now, now, somebody have the Christian Center? The update? No. Christian Standard Version is the update of Holman Christian. Anybody at home? That is the update. Okay. 
I say buckle, but so both of them uh, have the verse number a little differently. How often? But in regards, it doesn't make any difference. Still use paradise in both places. All right. So, uh, yeah. Good. Believe that Paul is talking about himself in verse 2. Um, and then he talked about being caught up in the third heaven. Um, you know, when we, when we read. It's not just him seeing Christ. He's revealed all kinds of things here in this. He's caught up into the third heaven. He's not on the road to Damascus. He's caught up. And so there's no mention of that, at least, in the road to Damascus story. So I think Paul's talking about a separate incident that this happened. Okay. Uh, anybody else want to venture? Okay. First thing I would suggest, and again, we're not... We're not given a lot of details here, but the first thing I would suggest is we think spatially. <laughs> we're, we're looking at, okay, there's this place called Hades, you know, and we draw a circle around it and put bars on it and say, there it is, and you can't move out of that one, but, and then there's a couple of places inside this idea, etc. But let's hold that and now go to... Uh, <clears throat> Well, I'm going to, Revelation 2.7, 2, yeah, go ahead and go to Revelation 2.7, and then we'll go to the next one and, and try to clear that up a little bit. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, speaking to the church at Ephesus, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Okay, so now paradise is used another time, and when would this paradise of God, what, would, what is being defined by this paradise? What would we relate it to in the Old Testament? Remembering that Revelation uh, of 404 verses, 400 of them make a reference to the Old Testament. So this is one of them. It does make a reference to the Old Testament. What would be that reference? Garden of Eden, right. So there is the paradise, and what's special about the Garden of Eden? God is there. All right, so you could just say, wherever God is, there's where paradise is. So let's hold that thought, and then go to 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians 5. And beginning at verse 1. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Um, I've got 6 through 9 here, but just let's read on down. For we know that if, it, if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. Notice the contrast between tent and building. From God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we, should, we would be unclothed, but we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. All right, um, so what would you say when a person dies who is a faithful Christian, where are they going to be, according to this text? At home with the Lord, okay? So, but I thought we were going to Hades. I thought we'd be in paradise in Hades. But here it says we're going to be home with the Lord. Let's add to that what uh, uh, Adam talked about this morning with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1. So Philippians 1 and verse, uh, verse 21, he, he says, For to me to live is uh, Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means that fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary of your account. So departing and being with Christ. So again, we have this uh, maybe odd thing where uh, I thought we were in Hades, and yet these texts say that when we die, we're with the Lord. Michael can solve that uh, problem. He's looking at me like, what in the world am I talking about? <laughs> what would, any ideas? He seems to be saying, you're like Second Corinthians, you're either in the body and away from the Lord, or you're out of the body and at home with the Lord. And Paul says, well, I'd rather depart and be with Christ than I would to stay here in the flesh, but I'll stay here in the flesh for your, for your sake. You may know the death. Yeah, go ahead. heaven, but it is not the final prepared place that he's gone to prepare for us. 
as, as a matter of fact, that, uh, that, that seems to be the idea in Hebrews chapter 11, the last verses of Hebrews 11, actually say that they without us will not receive the promises. So there is still the promises to be received, and Peter tells us the new heavens and earth is not revealed until this present heavens and earth is destroyed. So there, there is that. But I think Adam hits on a point here that's very important. Uh, just because you're in Hades does not mean you're not with the Lord. He's, anybody know what it means? This means unseen. It's just the unseen realm. Sheo, unseen. Uh, it was a way of describing a place where those who died would be uh, in the spirit, so to speak. And yet, somehow this is with the Lord. Abraham is there in the parable. Abraham is with the Lord. Um, when uh, the transfiguration took place, who met with Jesus. Moses and Elijah met with Jesus and actually discussed what? His upcoming death, Luke chapter 9. So they were aware. I wouldn't suggest they were aware of everything that was going on on earth. Uh, Ecclesiastes seems to indicate that people who have died don't know anything that is going on in this earth type of stuff, but they at least were aware of the plan of God, and they were aware because the angels are aware. They knew what was about to take place, and they discussed with Jesus his upcoming decease, his upcoming, the word in the Greek, exodus. Love that. Uh, so he, they discussed that. So there's an awareness of life, um, and uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still live Exodus 3, 6, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is said to Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob been dead 500 years, and God's Jesus' explanation of that is, God's not the God of the dead, meaning like non-existent, but the God of the living, they are still living, they would still be conscious. So, my, my best take on it, and if you can think of something else, I'd love to hear it, but my best take on it is, we're talking about Hades, our tendency is, and I used, to, I used to draw a circle when I was trying to help people who aren't Christians understand, draw a circle, put Hades at the top, put a great gulf going throughout the middle, paradise on the top side, uh, torment on the bottom side, and explain, you know, that. And then at the end of that, I'd say, now just take that picture and wad it all up and throw it away. Because we're not dealing with a... A, a place that has boundaries like we understand boundaries in this world. It's hard for us to look at it that way. Go over it, and this isn't on the screen, but go over to Revelation chapter 7. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 7. Um, and look at, uh, look at verse 9. So this is right after... Uh, this is right after he numbers the 12 tribes, 12,000 from each tribe that are chosen <clears throat> uh, and would be saved. Of course, the number is figurative. Verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, 
clothed in white robes with, uh, with um, palm branches in their hand, and, uh, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, <coughs> who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be given to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now coming out of the great tribulation indicate they're dead. They have gone through this period of persecution and trial. They've been killed and they've come through the other side or at least they died uh, through this. And then verse 15, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them <coughs> with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them into springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So this seems to be this time right after, during this tribulation, where these people died, and they're before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and all is good, he's wiping away every tear, but we do not have that final prepared place like we later see in chapter 21. That seems to be the way it appears, at least to me, uh, is that, that picture. So we're still with the Lord following death. I think that's very encouraging. I, I, I've always loved Paul saying, I would like to depart and be with Christ, uh, not depart and uh, be hanging out for who knows how long. Of course, when you're there, I'm sure how long doesn't mean anything. Uh, but, but still, you know, it's nice to know uh, when you take that last breath, uh, you're going to be with the Lord. Uh, and I love that picture. Michael? Get this right you're saying this scene right here is paradise, not the ultimate. Yeah, it's, it's not the ultimate promise. Again, uh, sometimes people ask the question, in fact, I think it was asked to me last time after the class, some people ask the question, well, if as soon as we die, we're either in the good side or bad side of Hades, what's the point of judgment day? Seems like we've already been judged. And uh, the point of judgment day is the time in which the rewards are given. That, yeah, the, the decision has been made, basically. We're going to answer right in some way. We're going to answer the Lord on the day of judgment for what we have done. And there is small glimpses like Luke 12, 46 and 47 that there will be differences in punishments and differences in our work with the Lord. Now notice I didn't say reward, but differences in our work with the Lord. Like, um, is Gabriel different than Michael as far as an angel? Sure, they have different roles. Uh, was the angel in Daniel's day in Daniel chapter 10 who came in, we don't know his name, but came and gave uh, Daniel an answer to the vision and was withheld by an evil angel. Is he different? Well, 
he obviously was, but he could because it took Michael to come and release him, and he's bigger and badder <laughs> than the than the the evil prince of of uh, Persia. So there's all kinds of, of differences. I, I, I think it would be um, normal for God to give us various parts of whatever we'll be doing <coughs> for him in, uh, in his kingdom. We're going to inherit it and... We're not going to be twiddling our thumbs on a cloud. We, we will be serving him, it says, day and night in his temple. And all tears wiped away and everything good and, and all of that. And so there's something we'll be doing. I, I like the idea of serving day and night. You're never going to get tired. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. Uh, Louis and I were talking this morning about you know, you read of Gabriel in the book of Daniel, and then you read of Gabriel in the book of Luke, and you go, wow, the guy's been around 600 years <laughs> and still doing some, you know, he's doing various things. Uh, we have no idea what that's going to be. Uh, he has been faithful in, in but he will grant to him 10 cities if he's uh, gain ten, the five pound man gain ten pounds, Luke 19. He'll be put over ten cities. The other guy would be put over five cities. There's indications of things like that. We're just looking through a little peephole in the door, obviously. But there's pictures of that with the Lord, etc. Um, Revelation 20, verse 10 through 15, I think, helps solidify our understanding of what we've been talking about with um, with Hades, uh, Revelation 20, verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever, lest there's any idea that when you're thrown in the lake of fire, then you just go, and you're gone. Uh, that is uh, certainly not the case here. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. <clears throat> and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Why would uh, death and Hades be thrown into the lake of fire? What is that symbolic of? There's no more. Pardon? No more. I count you. No more. No more death and Hades. Right. It's it, now death is for is, is gone. Paul makes reference to that in First Corinthians 15 when he says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And once that destroyed, then Jesus has done his job and he turns the kingdom back to God. So this is the end then of Hades because it's the end of death. Uh, and death is destroyed, so it, it's the end of all that. The curse is gone. 
And there's no more curse. There's no more tree of knowledge of good and evil to eat. There's no more of any of those things. That pretty well confirms the idea that uh, the idea of death and Hades, which is the primary picture here, is taken away simply to give the idea that the death is no more. And now only life uh, survives for those who are righteous. Make sense? Okay. So that, that, that is, that's the best that I, I know as far as that. In, if you have any other questions or any other comments? Oh, sorry. Yes. It must be ingrained in me to try to remember how to feel like a child because I understand what you said about paradise is where God is. That makes sense to me. But how would you answer the one who says, well, when God dwells in the tabernacle, was that paradise? Where God dwells in? God was in the tabernacle, like you talked to Moses. Yeah. Did that make it paradise? Okay, no, because there's a difference between the God's presence being somewhere and God's actuality being somewhere. And that difference is made, by the way, by Stephen in Acts, the seventh chapter, when uh, Stephen gives his sermon. This is an important uh, point. I'm glad you brought that up. You might remember that in Jeremiah chapter 7, when Jeremiah said, here comes the Babylonians and they're going to destroy uh, this city. Uh, do you remember what the people were saying over and again? And God said, you're going to quit saying that. <laughs> temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. What were they saying? They were saying that God actually lives inside that temple. And since he's actually literally inside that temple, that there's no way that the temple could be destroyed and no way Jerusalem could be destroyed. So Stephen uh, seems to attack the exact same thing in Acts chapter 7, uh, down in uh, bu, 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 verse 47, but it was Solomon who built a house for him, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You can't make something that God, God says, I can crawl into, <laughs> or I desire to crawl into if you want. I, God can do what he wants, but, but the, he's giving us a picture that because his presence is there, like his presence is with us. Scripture teaches that. The idea of the Spirit dwelling in us, I think, is the idea of God's presence with us, that he is, he is with us, and we have comfort in that. But it doesn't mean he crawled inside our bodies. Uh, Christ is in you, uh, the scripture says in, in, in Romans and also uh, in Ephesians. Uh, but that doesn't mean Christ got inside you. It means he's changing you through what he's been teaching and through his example and, and what he's done. So presence of the Lord and actuality of being and seeing him as, as Revelation 21 is going to say, seeing him face to face is a different idea. Okay, good question. Anybody else? All right, transition. Heaven. We've read the words heaven already. We use the phrase and term a lot, going to heaven, etc. There, there is something that's puzzled me, though, or bothered me for a number of years now. 
And what, is, what has bothered me is, is what, and I'm just going to jump ahead here because I, it feels more, more logical. But in Revelation 21, while you're right there in Revelation 20, in Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I'd suggest to you the sea is where the great empires of the world came up out of the sea. The dragons came up out of the sea and, and persecuted. And so uh, that's taken out. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from, heaven, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So there, there's this picture then, not of us going to God, but of God coming to us. Does that fit the rest of the scriptures? Well, what's the garden picture? It's a picture where God is. And God would walk in the garden in the cool of the day, and he creates this place where there is no sin, and he's going to come, and he's made all these wonderful provisions, and he's going to come, and he's going to communicate with man. And it's, it's like, and of course, some guy uh, that you all literature people could, could tell me the name. I, I can't remember his name right now. But what is it? Milton, yeah, wrote Paradise Lost. And so here's this picture of, uh, of Paradise uh, Had, but then Paradise Lost. But then you get to the end of the Bible, and Revelation 21 and 22 is a, just reaffirming the same picture that we're back in the garden, and God is with us. So that fits this idea of restoration. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 19. <clears throat> Acts 3 and verse 19 through 21. As Peter is preaching this sermon and explaining to the Jews, and I might add, when the Jews heard this, they would have related to this quite well. This certainly would have been their thoughts if uh, Peter is saying it to them and expecting that they would understand it. Revelation 3.19, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that, the that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I'd suggest that's forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. <coughs> Heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. When is restoring, or some other version, older versions, restoration, when is the restoration of all things going to be complete according to what Peter says here? When is that restoration going to be complete? Heaven's receiving Jesus until he comes back, right? Until the restoring of all things. He's going to, when he returns, that's when he's going to finally destroy death. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. Death is going to be destroyed. It's the last enemy. He reigns. Psalm 110, Peter quotes it. He reigns until...
He reigns until. Somebody needs to read Psalm 110 verse 1. <laughs> he reigns until. All. Oh my goodness, folks. How many times? This is quoted over and over again. This is found foundational. He reigns until since Psalm 110, I don't know if it's verse 1. But, okay. So all enemies are placed under his feet. Okay. He reigns until all enemies are put under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So there's where restoration takes place. Humpty Dumpty got all shattered when, when sin came, and now he turns around and puts the whole point of the kingdom of Christ, the whole point of the coming of the reign of Jesus, is to bring everything back together, is to restore all things. Unite, Ephesians says and Colossians says, unite all things in heaven and all things on earth. Brings everything then back together. So we've got... We had rebellion in heaven. We had rebellion on earth. He's bringing everything then back together. So the picture then of restoration is thematic throughout the whole Bible. <clears throat> Exodus 25, verse 8. Why did God tell Israel to build a tabernacle? So that I may dwell in their midst. Right. So here he is. Notice the relation of God to man. Uh, God is talking about so that I may dwell in your midst. The tabernacle then a picture of his heavenly tabernacle, which is the literal one, Hebrews chapter 10. And so he's picturing his presence with them in a tabernacle that is patterned after heaven. And that's why he said, follow the pattern in every way. Look at Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 22. Ezekiel 37, 22. <clears throat> now this is very, very messianic. You might remember at the beginning of chapter 37 is the valley of dry bones, indicating resurrecting uh, God's people back to life because they're dead, they're dead in their sins, and the nation is dead, and he's going to resurrect the nation. So then in 37.22, and I will make them one nation, talking about Israel and Judah, in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all, and they shall no be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and I will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I'll be their God. My servant David shall be king over them. Who would that be? Messianic picture of Jesus, sure. My king David king will be over them. They shall all have one shepherd, Jesus, they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in, in the land that I give to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant will be their prince forever. 
I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in, the, in the, their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So then we have a picture of God's presence coming down and being with us instead of the other way around. Now, Revelation 21, 1 through 3, that we just read, new heavens and new earth, new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. Verses 9 and 10 describes that uh, the new Jerusalem, uh, which we didn't read, but Revelation 21, 9 and 10, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues, spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the Holy Spirit, Holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. What does that give a picture of? Our creation is heavenly. Our creation is what God is doing to us. And it's a heaven to earth creation. He is creating us in his image. He is a picture. He is the goal picture of who we're going to be. And he creates us like a bride, and then he brings us to where Jesus said, I've gone away to prepare a place for you. Now, we can talk all day long about what are the details, <laughs> but it's interesting that in 21 and verse, um, verse uh, Three, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Where, where's heaven? Where God is. <laughs> that's, that's where heaven is. So we're going to be where he is. Is it so out of sorts for us to be able to admit that God is preparing something that he describes in terms that we can relate to a brand new universe and a brand new earth. Now, we think of that and we go, oh, is there going to be a different globe and it's going to have different... No, 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 no. These are very metaphorical. Uh, and I, I think it's just... I, I hear people getting into the details of this, and I think that's super dangerous. Uh, back, back in uh, you know, Old Testament, when he talks about... Uh, uh, new heavens, new earth, and stuff like this. He'll talk about the mountains dripping with sweet wine. Oh, goody, somebody says. <laughs> well, it's this metaphorical for abundance. And by the way, that's the reason Jesus turned water to wine and turned 120 to 180 gallons of water into wine. He's picturing the abundance and the, the, that is going to be. Uh, Isaiah 25 has this monster feast where the wicked are all gone and everything is forever and you and him, we are imbibing in everything that God has provided. Jesus in Luke 12 talked about sitting down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the table and eating the great feast with them. So it's all pictures, pictures that are given in various ways uh, of, of that. <clears throat> Revelation 22, 1 through 5, uh, I've quoted that in some verses on, in previous sermons, but you notice here in this case, very clear garden scene. Uh, 
You have the river of the water of life, uh, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, referenced, by the way, in Ezekiel 36. I mean, excuse me, Ezekiel um, 37. <clears throat> excuse me, 47. Boy, I didn't get that right. Ezekiel 47. And then no longer any curse there, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. Where's God's throne? We say God's throne's in heaven. Where's God's throne here? God's throne is here with us. And um, wherever that's going to be, uh, as he describes new heavens and new earth, and his servants will worship, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. No night there, no need of light. The Lord God is the light, and he reigns with them forever and ever. So a picture of a brand new system, uh, a brand new way of doing things. You know, in the Old Testament, when God prophesied in Isaiah 65, the coming of a new heavens and new earth, and talked messianically, could they imagine what it was going to be? No. In fact, Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 2 from Isaiah and says, I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for them who love him. We can't even come close to imagining it. So all these pictures are given are simply things that help us relate to something totally different and brand new. In fact, uh, we didn't read uh, 21, uh, is it 21, yeah, uh, where he said, I, will, I make all things new. Where is that? I thought they had that right there. 21.5. Yeah, right, looking right at it, didn't see it. Behold, I'm making all things new. Write this down. These words are trustworthy, etc. Got a point, Danny? Or are you just, uh, just thinking? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. We're getting pictures and snapshots, and, and, and the whole, whole movie basically comes, comes later. You know, these, these interesting texts, just a quick conclusion here, interesting texts that mention heaven that has always uh, bothered me as well when I try to compare these. So Colossians 1, uh, verse 5, uh, Paul says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before, the word of truth, the gospel. Okay, there's this hope laid up for you in heaven, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 5 and, uh, or 4 and 5, also, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, he, he says, uh, we are uh, prepared for an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then Hebrews 11, verse 16, Hebrews eleven sixteen concerning uh, Abraham and those who followed are faithful, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. So you say, well, that sounds like we're going to heaven. Or it sounds like we have been, that our reward is being guarded and held for us. It's a place where no one can get it. Our treasures are in heaven, and we have been, he is guarding them, collected them, and he is, he is holding them so that when the time comes, we are rewarded, and he 
then brings us to this new place that he's prepared and then his throne comes there and then he dwells with us. Okay. So just so you know, full disclosure, it's taken me five years of thinking about this and I'm sure I'm still struggling with it in various ways. Thinking about, but trying to read his words it does say the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. Well, then what were we doing there? He was preparing us. We are raised up, Ephesians 2.6. We have already been raised up and I've already been seated with him in the heavenly places. Maybe it's the case we simply are too spatial and we keep thinking of things in terms of when in actuality... As we, I think, isn't there a, yeah, there's a song we sing, angels all around us. Uh, so why were angels created? Hebrews chapter, chapter 1, which says, uh, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit eternal salvation? Angels are sent in Revelation to answer our prayers and answer the prayers that are given on earth. Angels are sent to do that. A lot of things going on there. Okay? You got that really clear in your mind, like I do. <clears throat> uh, not really. <laughs> so, anyway, there, there's, uh, there, there's all I know for now, and you can uh, grapple with that. And uh, tell me what you come up with. Uh, uh, but uh, that's, that's about the best I know. We're going to sing a song right now. And obviously, as usual, if there's any way we can help you, uh, please let that be known. All together we stand and while we sing.